in the providence of God, uh, we are turning this morning uh, to another question that is being asked Jesus Christ. Remember now in Mark 12, he is in the last week of his earthly life and the religious leaders, one group after another, are firing trick questions at him, trying to get something they can use against him so that they can condemn him. And the group we're going to come across this morning are the Sadducees, uh, and they did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. And providentially, what we're going to look at is Jesus' answer, which talks about the mighty hope of the resurrection. And uh, when uh, we hear uh, the death, the sudden death, uh, of somebody, the shock that that produces, what uh, a relief that we can look this morning at the resurrection. Now, before looking at um, the answer that Jesus gives, I need to give you some background information on the Sadducees, uh, because many of us tend to lump these religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, all into one group. And we just imagine them being nasty people uh, plotting uh, behind Jesus' back uh, to kill him. But they were all different, right? They were all different. And they were respectable people in society. And the Sadducees were the polar opposite of the Pharisees in terms of what they believed in. The Pharisees were very strict, very sound but the Sadducees were like the liberals of old. They didn't believe in life after death. They didn't believe, as I said, in the resurrection. They didn't believe in the soul. They only took the first five books of Moses as scripture, and they were wealthy. They were the religious aristocrats. They were probably greatly offended at Jesus throwing out the money changers from the temple because that had brought in much revenue for them. And uh, here they were, these sophisticated uh, people, uh, and they're coming to Jesus, and they're asking him a trick question. It's an old chestnut. You know what I mean by that? Um, there are many questions, aren't there, uh, that unbelievers often ask, and they're just old chestnuts. Uh, and... Uh, this is the kind of question that the Sadducees enjoyed asking people who believed in the resurrection. Now, we got to make a note of the background to the question as well. So if you've got a Bible, verse 19, Moses taught in Deuteronomy that if a man died and they had no children, that man's brother was allowed to marry the wife so that they could have offspring. Because in Jewish society, the name, the name of the family and the lineage of the family was very important. So the trick question, the old chestnuts that the Sadducees had was this. This happens, a man dies, his brother marries his wife and there's no children. And then this brother dies and then the next brother marries, and there are still no children. And by the end, seven brothers. <laughs> it's completely ludicrous, isn't it? Seven brothers. 
have married uh, this poor woman and there are no children. And then she dies. And even though they don't believe in an afterlife and in a resurrection, they do say, because they're trying to trick him, in the resurrection, whose wife is she? Who is their husband out of the seven? That, 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 that's just a stupid question, you know? It's, uh, it's the kind of question you sometimes have, I don't know, we, in Bible college, around the meal table. We, we, we had questions that were just ridiculous. I remember one Filipino asking this question. How could the snake in Genesis 3 have spoken if he had no vocal cords? Well, I'm sorry, that... That's, that, that's just ridiculous. Uh, and uh, what, what's with the medieval theologians constantly discussing? Uh, they, they were talking about how many angels you could get uh, to uh, um, balance on the tip of a needle. What, what possible relevance has such questions got to us? So Jesus, answering them, says two things, and I just want us to look at those two things this morning. He says first, you are ignorant of what the Bible actually teaches. You are ignorant of the word of God. Are you ignorant of the word of God this morning? I can imagine these Sadducees thinking, who is this country bumpkin, Jesus Christ, coming from Nazareth? Can any good thing come from Galilee? What does he know about these sophisticated, religious, philosophical questions? Is that your attitude as you come to our church? You're looking at us. Uh, you're looking at the way we do things. And you think, how quaint how old-fashioned of you. And then you're looking at me standing here in the pulpit, and you're probably thinking, what has this Welsh windbag got to say? Um, what does he know about life? I think I've got it all sorted. That's, that's the kind of attitude that they had uh, to Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, you don't know. You don't know the Bible. You don't know it." This book isn't about how many angels you can get to balance on the tip of a needle. Do you know what this book is about? If I can put my mic back on. Let me quote John Wesley. This is what he said about the Bible. I am a creature of a day. You are as well. Passing through life. As an arrow through the air, I am a spirit come from God and returning to God. I drop into an unchangeable eternity. We don't know when that's going to happen. I want to know one thing. What? The way to heaven. How to land safe on that happy shore. God himself has condescended to teach the way. For this very end he came from heaven. He hath written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book at any price. 
give me the book of God. That's what we've got. And a country bumpkin, a Welsh windbag, with this book is more powerful than all the clever people out there. You know, they were complaining about Wesley's preachers. They, they were uneducated men, a lot of them. Do you know, do you know what the complaint was? They're, they're so uncouth. They're not sophisticated. They raise their voices. They haven't got degrees. Do you know what Wesley said? All right, okay. But they die well. They know how to die. Are you ignorant of the Bible? Are you a Sadducee? Um, can I say this? We're living so comfortably, aren't we? I think these Sadducees, they were disturbed by Jesus' preaching because they were at ease in this world. That they, they were high up in the society of the day. That they had enough wealth that enabled them to live comfortably. That they, they weren't thinking about their soul. They weren't thinking about death. They weren't thinking about eternity. Life revolved around the here and now. And that's why they justified that with their theology. Is that you? Is that me? I think it is right to say the church in the West is too comfortable. I know so many believers in much poorer countries. They don't have our wealth. They don't have our resources. They don't have our uh, books to explain the Bible. But what they do have is a hope in their hearts. A song in their hearts because they know where they're going. Do you, do you? The, the, there are a series of hymns by Thomas Ken, morning hymns, evening hymns, and he wrote in his evening hymn, teach me to live that I may dread the grave as little as my bed. Teach me to die that I may rise glorious at the judgment's day. That's what the Bible enables us to do. Don't you want to have that hope? Don't, don't, don't you? Now, look at what Jesus has to say here about the Bible's teaching. The, the Bible isn't interested in obscure uh, philosophical points. The Bible teaches about the soul, that we're not just bodies, we're souls. The Bible teaches about the reason why the world's in the mess it's in. It's because of this spiritual disease called sin that has alienated us from God. God didn't create death. Death came in as a result of the fall. The Bible teaches in a, a special way that God has done something to deal with a mess. Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches about a resurrection and I'm interested in the way that Jesus does this. Uh, if you've got a Bible, look at how he answers them. Verse 26, concerning the dead that they rise, have you not read? Where? In the book of Moses. 
Jesus answers them with the very verses that they use to disprove the resurrection. And the reasoning of Jesus Christ is flawless. When Moses uh, met God at the burning bush, as God was calling him to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, God revealed himself to Moses and he said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Jesus' reasoning is this. God doesn't say, I was the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. I still am their God. My friends, Jesus is saying to these Sadducees, Moses is still alive. Abraham, Isaac and Israel are still alive. Nigel Council is still alive. David Shepherd is still alive. The soul goes on into eternity. I was taking a funeral a few weeks ago, standing at the gravesite. Do you know the words? Earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. That's the body. Do you, do you know Longfellow, Sam? Life is real. Life is earnest. And the grave is not our goal. Dust thou art to dust returnest was not spoken of the soul. The soul going to live forever. Do you know where your soul is going? There's nothing more important than that. Whatever problem you may have come in here with this morning, and I understand I've got problems as well. We've all got burdens. We wouldn't be living in this real world otherwise. But whatever burden you're carrying, it has nothing in comparison to your eternal destiny. And then it's not just the soul living forever. For these Jewish people, uh, that would have made no sense. Just the soul, as it were, hovering in a vacuum. There is the resurrection of the body. When people die, their souls go into eternity. But then those souls are waiting for an event. And that event is the one last thing that's going to happen to this universe. The second coming of Jesus Christ, the day of judgment. And on that day, we will have new bodies. And those who are still outside of Christ will go to an eternal destruction, body and soul. And those who are Christ's will go into an eternal heaven, a new heaven and a new earth, and a new body and a new soul. That, that's what the Bible is about. The Bible isn't about all sorts of different things that have to do with time, eternity, resurrection, the soul. Are we Sadducees here this morning? They're ignorant of the word of God. I don't want anybody to leave this meeting not knowing what was preached this morning. I don't want anybody here to be able to point a finger at me or the leadership of this church and accuse us of not pointing you to heaven. I'm trying to make it as clear as possible that our souls 
need saving. And then their ignorance, not just of the Bible, but of the power of God. Oh, I like this. Power of God. Do you know what the word power means in Greek? It comes from dunamos. We get the word dynamite from dunamos. Uh, we had the Slavic gospel. Is it Slavic Gospel Association? We had a speaker from them in the prayer meeting a few weeks ago, and he was talking to us about the, I think it was the founder of the Slavic Gospel Association, and this man was a powerful preacher, and they nicknamed him Peter Dynamite. Isn't that a good nickname for a preacher? Peter Dynamite, the power of the Holy Spirit, was at work through the preaching of this man. And another preacher that could have been nicknamed that was the Apostle Paul. And he said of his preaching, I am not ashamed of this gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the dynamite, that's the word in the Greek, the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. And these poor Sadducees, because they didn't understand the Scriptures, they were completely ignorant of the power of God in salvation. I was brought up going to a chapel, Presbyterian chapel, and I was completely ignorant of the way of salvation until I went to university. How tragic to have gone year in, year out, morning service after morning service, to be taught in Sunday school all these details about the Word of God and not hear once about salvation in Jesus Christ. I think that's terrible. I don't want that to be said of this church. I don't want our children now in Sunday school just to learn Bible stories. I want them to learn about salvation in Jesus Christ. I want you to as well. The power of God in salvation. Now, we tend to think of salvation just in personal terms, and that's right. Jesus is a personal saviour. He's a personal Jesus. But salvation is much bigger than that. And Jesus' answer to the Sadducees shows this. When God revealed himself to Moses as the I am, he's not just saying I am. <laughs> it's a covenant name. What do I mean by that? What's a covenant? A covenant is a treaty, an agreement. So when a couple get married, they enter into a covenant with each other. They make promises to one another. Now, this is why there is salvation. God has a covenant of grace. I find that amazing. And this covenant God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he promised to be their God and for them to be his people. He promised to give them a land. Now, they didn't inherit that land. Abraham only had a patch in the land of Canaan as a burial ground. But they were looking for a heavenly Canaan. And that, my friend, is the power of God in salvation. The covenant of God's grace. God covenanting, not just with Abraham and the patriarchs. God covenanting with himself. God is three persons as we've been hearing in the Bible studies from Errol, uh, one God. And 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit covenanted together in the council of eternity. And God the Father planned salvation that this world and the mess it's in wouldn't stay like that, that there would be salvation. My friends, even the most powerful leaders in the world can't deal with the coronavirus, can they? Isn't it ironic? Uh, one of the most powerful nations, China, and a president who's been made president for life, thinking that he's going uh, to be around forever, and he can't lift his little finger to deal with a virus. Oh, these earthly rulers are nobodies in comparison to the King of Kings. And this is the power of God in salvation, not us, but God doing something about it. God the Son coming 2,000 years ago, becoming a man. And the most important thing he did was hang on that cross. And what did he do on that cross? He took the curse of the broken covenants. He died that we might be forgiven. He died to make us good, that we might go at last to heaven, saved by his precious blood. And because he died for our sin, death had no more hold on him. And he conquered the last enemy. And as we sang so wonderfully in that second hymn, up from the grave he arose in victory. We have a victorious saviour this morning. I'm so thankful that he didn't stay on the cross. I'm so thankful for the empty tomb. Jesus is alive, alive. Have you heard of Gresham Machen? I used to call him Machen, as in the village in the Rumney Valley. But it's Machen. A very intelligent man. He battled against theological liberalism at the start of the 20th century. He died when he was 55. Gresham Machen died when he was 55. He died of pneumonia. He was away from home. Here is this giant intellect of a man. And he was visited by a pastor. Just an ordinary pastor. Um, he, he died in... Um, uh, oh, I've forgotten the name... Uh, it's, it's one of those um, American states that's in the middle of nowhere. Uh, <laughs> small town. <laughs> small town. Uh, not Nebraska. It's one, one of those further up. Uh, and the pastor who came to see him had Mation say this to him. Listen to this. Mation, even though he was clever, wasn't a Sadducee. He had this resurrection hope. Listen to this. Sam. It's just grand, isn't it? I can't do his accents. It's glorious. This reformed faith. <laughs> this gospel of grace. It's grand. And then Machen, he telegraphed John Murray, another intelligent man. Um, and all he said to him was this. I'm so thankful for the active obedience of Christ. No hope without it. What is he saying? He's basically saying, this is all I've got. Jesus lived and died for me. That's all. That's all you need, my friend. Jesus has done it all. Can you see it? Uh, a hymn says, this covenant, what's the relevance to me? I'm not interested in... All these chestnut questions. I'm not interested in how many angels you can balance on the tip of the needle. How is that going to help me when I come to die? Is it? How is 
what Bible translation you have to use is going to help me when I stand and face the last enemy? How is my view of church government going to help me when I have uh, to cross the river of death? How is a pet subject? And we have them, don't we? We give them Christian names, whatever it is. If it's not Christ and his covenant, how is that going to give you an everlasting hope? Gresham Machen said, no hope without Jesus' active obedience. His oath, his covenant, and his blood. Support me in the whelming flood when all around my soul gives way. Hallelujah. He then is all my hope and stay. You can be a nobody. No degree, no theological understanding. And if you say that, you're in. You're in. And then there's the power of God in us, isn't there? It's not just Jesus doing everything, but the power of Christ in me. Do you you know the resurrection of Jesus Christ happened? The same power that caused him to rise from the grave happened 30 or so years ago in room 222 in Pantacallion Hall of Residence. You, know, you, you can't get more peripheral than Aberystwyth, can you? <sighs> this place that's not grand in any way, that houses look as if they need a coat of paint on them. But the resurrection power of Jesus Christ came to me. A first-year student. Do you think I'm going too far? Do you know what Paul said? He said, we've been saved through faith, and this faith is the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. If you're a Christian here this morning, think of the children's talk. If you've got life, green shoots, if your trust is in Jesus Christ, even though you've got doubt, even though your hold of him is weak, that faith was produced by the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Isn't that amazing? Do you know why you're still a Christian? Do you know why you haven't fallen by the wayside, as so many professing Christians have done? People who are much more intelligent, much more gifted than us. Do you want to know why? It's because of the power in you. Not the power you have, but the power of Jesus in you. You're engaged to him, if you're a Christian. You're engaged. The marriage hasn't happened yet. The marriage is going to happen in heaven. And this is the wonderful thing. Human marriage... Do you know, David Shepherd and Margaret Shepherd were married for 55 years. What a blessing. But even that blessed union was broken by death. Till death thus do part is in the human marriage covenant. But it's not in the marriage covenant of grace. Oh, death is an entrance into richer, fuller blessings. And then, as I come to a conclusion, there's the resurrection states. The power of God in the resurrection states. Jesus says, 
You're talking about marriage. I can say this. I can say this. Marriage isn't that important. Before I get sacked, <laughs> let me add, marriage is God's institution, so it's important in that sense. In God's plan, there's to be no sexual intercourse outside of marriage. Marriage protects the human relationship. Marriage is there for the bringing up of children. God created the family units. But, and it's a big but, human marriage is only a temporary institution. There is no human marriage in heaven. We don't need it because there's no death. There's no need for procreation. There's no need for more children to be born. You know, I've come across some single people and they think the answer to all their problems is getting married. I feel sorry for them because sometimes marriage can be the beginning of your problems. <laughs> think of poor John Wesley. His wife dragged him by his hair around the house. No, marriage is a great blessing. Mar marriage is of God. But marriage isn't essential. The most perfect human being who lived, the perfect human being, the only perfect human being, Jesus Christ, he wasn't married. If you're not married, and if you think your life is incomplete because you're not married, let me say that's unscriptural nonsense. You can live a complete life as a single person. I want to say I'm proof of that, but I'd better not. <laughs> marriage is important. It's God-given. It needs to be defended in this crazy time we're living in. But it's only temporary. Because there's such a thing as the eternal resurrection state. And I haven't got time, <laughs> ironically, <laughs> to talk about the eternal uh, state. But all I want to make is these comments will be married to Jesus Christ. And that will be the only match made in heaven. I know that's cheesy saying it, but that's true. Jesus says here, we'll be like the angels. What does that mean? He's talking about the perfect angels in heaven. What are they like? They don't have any sin in them. There's no taint of sin. We will be like that. My friend, Nigel, David, they are now perfect in their souls they are worshiping god without any distraction imagine that uh, sometimes we have touches of it don't we in this service what it's like to worship really worship in spirit and in truth where your heart goes out and is amazed at what god has done imagine having that 24 7 but we are going to be better off than the angels. The angels don't have bodies. We're going to have a resurrection body. What's the resurrection body going to be like? Oh, it's going to be like the body that Jesus Christ had when he rose from the grave. Do you know what that body is like? I have to be careful here that I don't fall in the trap of the Sadducees. But I can say that body didn't need food. It didn't need food. That body could go through walls. Imagine what it'll be like to be able to go through walls without being facetious. 
how did Jesus Christ go about when he was raised from the dead? You read of him, don't you? Uh, meeting his disciples in Galilee, meeting them on the road to Emmaus, meeting them in Jerusalem. Without being facetious, I'm sure his body could fly <laughs> without thinking of Superman or anything. But a new body with new powers. And isn't this the best thing of all? Especially when we feel our bodies like clods of earth. Don't you feel your body to be a clod of earth? It drags you down. This body which is getting older. This body which when I was younger was able to do so much. And when I try to do those things now, the spirit is willing but the flesh is so weak. This body which gets so tired. Oh, there won't be any fatigue in heaven. The body will be as fresh and as new after a thousand years as it was when we got there. A body that doesn't go ill. A body that doesn't get diseased. If you've had the sorrows of the mind. A body that doesn't get depressed. A body that doesn't have chronic pain. Are there people here with arthritis? It's horrible, isn't it? This chronic condition. A body with no arthritis. Why aren't you looking forward to it? It's because we're too comfortable. I want to close. Uh, you see, I, I, I want every one of you to be in Jesus Christ. There's going to be a resurrection. There's going to be two groups. We're, we're so different here in church, aren't we? We're young, we're old, we're male, we're female, we're Welsh and other nationalities. <laughs> we've got degrees, we haven't got degrees, we are pedo-baptists, we are believers-baptists, we like ye old English, we like modern English, we like suits, we like casual. None of that is important. The only two groups here are those that are in Christ and that will be raised to resurrection life and those that are outside, and that will still have a body, but body and soul will be condemned forever and forever. That's why this is what the Bible is about. That's why it's salvation beginning to end. I, I'm sure you know the words of D.L. Moody, and this can be said of any believer who's died. Um, D.L. Moody, a, a really powerful evangelist, 19th century in America, and uh, he wrote this. Someday you will read in the papers, D.L. Moody is dead. Don't believe a word of it. At that moment I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher out of the old clay tenements, that's the body, into a house that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. He's not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Is he your God? For his name's sake. Amen.